Here at the Achieve Podcast, we want to be responsive to what our audience has been requesting. Many of you have reached out seeking advice on how to start a business. In a bid to help with that, we have created a 30-day business plan program to help you write your best business plan. It will become a great vehicle to collect and assemble your ideas, have a way to communicate your concept to other people, and also be a means to raise capital. There will be prizes awarded that will help you polish your plan to optimize success. Visit AchievePodcast forward slash business plans with an S at the end to register. On this episode, we have Jeff Bietto. Jeff was born and raised in Wisconsin. From his early teens, Jeff became really interested in biographies and self-help books. He developed a reputation as being the most positive high schooler in his community. Jeff opted for a small college setting in Minnesota, but had developed a passion for Southern California even before matriculating. After college, he lived in Mexico for a few years. From there, he moved to France to head up sales for a U.S.-based company. He left France to move to Austin, Texas, where he teamed up with friends working in the gaming space. After five years, he finally heeded the call of Southern California and made the move to join a master's program in spiritual psychology. He became a coach helping people find balance in their lives, becoming really keen in altering daily micro-habits that can impact lasting change. He co-founded Enjoy Global as his platform to bring that to the world. Jeff, thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you. It's, it's wonderful to be here, Asim. Thank you. Yeah, it's really great. We've known each other for several years now and have stayed in, in touch. And um, I've always been a fan of the types of things that you're working on and doing. You've uh, had a very passion-led existence. And so to be able to share that with the audience is, uh, is a real treat for me. Um, I like to start from the, the very beginning. Um, are you a native of Southern California? No, I grew up in a small, tiny town in Wisconsin. Uh, oh. And from time to time, again, you may hear the accent uh, sneak out. But um, yeah, a little town called Oconomowoc. Uh, wow. Okay. Well, yeah. you know, we were in our preamble to this. We were talking about this Indian town that uh, you said you had difficulty pronouncing. That's the challenge I have with what you just said. <laughs> yeah, five O's in that one. Wow. Five O's. Okay. Yeah. Um, and just geographically, where is it vis-a-vis -vis, uh, Madison? Yep, right, right in between Milwaukee and Madison. So those are pretty much uh, east-west of each other and smack in the middle is in my little town. It was 9,000 or so people and uh, a beautiful, beautiful, quaint, uh, you know, little town um, to grow up in. What brought your family there? Um, you know, my, my parents are from Kenosha, which unfortunately has been getting a lot of headlines lately right. and um, for bad stuff, but they grew up there and back in the day when they got married, they wanted to move away and moving away meant, meant about a, like an hour <laughs> radius from, from where they grew up. So, okay. um, so that's, uh, they ended up looking in, in several places, but fell in love with this little town. Gotcha. Um, you have siblings, Jeff? Two younger brothers. Yeah. yeah, three boys. Great. What was it like uh, growing up? What were the things you did uh, for fun? Yep. Um, you know, I had kind of a, you know, an idyllic um, childhood. My parents are great. Our family was close. The town was sweet. You know, there was no real major trauma in our lives. We were very fortunate. And um, 
in, in the small town, my dad was, uh, he was an optometrist. He coached all of my little league teams, very active as, uh, and sports were kind of the, the cornerstone of our existence. So from very young, uh, all year, it was something, and uh, that stayed true all the way through high school. Um, my mom, we were fortunate enough to have her uh, as a full-time, um, you know, taxi driver. Uh, she <laughs> literally took all of, I mean, most of her, I just, there's so much, again, gratitude as I'm older now and a parent for uh, what she did to, you know, to, to navigate um, our lives and keep us on, on track. So I had a great, you know, it was sports. Um, I did the kind of prerequisite couple of years of piano, which wasn't good. Um, I think I played trumpet despite my parents for a year. Uh, just I practiced early in the morning, made sure everyone was up, but I wasn't, you know, so music wasn't, um, wasn't as strong. The rooster really, of the household. Yeah. Do you get, do, 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 yeah. <laughs> that was not pleasant. <laughs> you know, and speaking to your brothers, that's what they brought up. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> that damn trumpet. <laughs> um, were you an avid reader? I was, you know, um, I was an avid reader of uh, biographies and self-help stuff from kind of eighth grade on. And I, I read hundreds of uh, biographies and, and uh, I got hooked. I, the story that I tell is basically in eighth grade, prepubescent years, I was uh, what they had, you know, what they had clinically diagnosed um, as having a bad attitude. I was just, I was just a, a pain. Um, and uh, not, again, in my own way, I wasn't, you know, it wasn't a ridiculous one, but my dad and I especially were butting heads and to his credit, instead of writing it off as, you know, just going through those years, he gave me Earl Nightingale's The Strangest Secret in the World uh, cassette tape, okay. uh, which I reluctantly listened to and then fell in love with. And that put me on a track of reading and listening to um, everything I could get my hands on from Zig Ziglar and Dennis Waitley and Tony Robbins had just come on the scene and Jim Rohn uh, from back then. But I read all of the, you know, the power of positive thinking and um, thinking grow rich and uh, think big. And all, I mean, all those kind of classic ones, that was just, that's how I got through high school. I was the most positive kid in my, in my town for a lot, by a lot. <laughs> Yeah. Wow, and that has really sustained you throughout your life. I've never not known you to be extraordinarily positive, and I think that's a big part of your draw. Well, thank you. It definitely like that. When I think of moments that were critical, and I'm, I always uh, am grateful to my dad for that moment because that really did. Uh, that was one of those seminal moments for me. Oh, that's incredible. Uh, yeah. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, are your parents still with you? Yes, both, uh, um, you know, relatively ha uh, healthy for the moment. My dad did have a heart attack this past, uh, you know, this year, oh, well, um, which was a scare. And I'll tell you, this is so weird. Um, I guess heart attack, I guess heart attacks are so common and the surgeries have gotten so good that it's literally not a big deal. Like we got the, he went in in the middle of the night. He was home, I think within 24 hours. And, wow. and, and, you know, when I kind of, for me, I was like, oh my God, you know, that just seems like a big deal. But yeah. um, thankfully to, you know, that's one of the good things about modern medicine. It's so mm -hmm. he seems good. And, and thankfully both parents are with me um, and they're doing great. So they're uh, a young, somewhere in their seventies. Nice. Yeah. Great. Young Still in Wisconsin. Yeah. They are holding down the fort in Oconomowoc. <laughs> right the town you're from uh which i'll continue to refer to it as uh, i'm gonna say it as many times as i can 
<laughs> you know what I keep hearing? I keep hearing the literary term onomatopoeia. It does kind of, it does kind of do that. Well, is that is that when a sound like, represents? Is that like yeah. bang or pow? Buzz, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's uh, where I'm from. Onomatopoeia. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, we we should stick with that. Um, of the biographies you were reading, are there were there any that really stood out for you? An exemplary life where you're like, wow, this is a role model. You, you know, I read. That's interesting. I, I hadn't thought I had gone through, and the the one that's popping up, which is weird, because I can't really remember a lot about his life, was Benjamin Disraeli. Oh yeah. Nice. Um, and so I I don't and haven't thought about that in a very long time. But I had gone through a lot of the, um, you know, Thomas Jefferson, Ben Franklin, a lot of the founding fathers, uh, as well as, um, you know, Martin Luther King and a lot of the the social uh, justice activists. Um, but I don't know why I don't know I don't know why Benjamin just really is <laughs> it might have been a literary invocation that we did. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not really sure. They, I do know what what was great about that though was um, the ones I was reading again were kind of a, a child's version. They weren't you know massive volumes, but they were just enough to kind of continually put that people can do amazing things like. And, and a lot of people were doing amazing things on all different fronts, uh, you know, kind of whatever they, their heart was into, whether it was inventing things or running countries or uh, fighting for, you know, for certain uh, values and, and things that, that were important to them. So I think that was what kind of was always going in is that it was possible for one person, you know, to make a difference. To be a change agent. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's phenomenal. Um, tell us about the decision to go to college and your choice, uh, why you decided to study what you studied. Well, I went to a, a small Catholic school in, in Minneapolis, uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, actually, uh, the University of St. Thomas, and it was not my first choice. I, uh, in high school, had a very, um, again, maybe reading all those, I had, a, I had a warped sense of possibility. I felt I could go anywhere and it was just going to work out. So I, I applied, uh, I'll back up a little bit. My parents were, you know, we were middle, middle income-ish. And, uh, but my dad in ninth grade said, here's how, here's how college is going to work. I'm not paying, like, I will match every dollar that you save and that's it. Like, that's all you're oh, getting. Well, okay. I, you know, I played sports all year. I worked minimum wage, which back then was like $3 and 75 cents yeah. jobs in the summer. You know, even you work as much as you possibly can, that's only going to be about $800. Like that's not going to be, yeah. that's not going to be a lot. Yeah. So, but going into my senior year, I was applying to UCLA was my dream. Okay. I wanted to be Cal Southern California was just, I, had, I don't know if I had seen a television show or a movie, but that was, that was Nirvana somewhere out here. And UCLA <laughs> seemed to be the one. Um, and then I, I, applied to Tulane in Louisiana, uh, North Carolina, Chapel Hill. I, and when I looked at it geographically, they were literally as far as you could possibly yeah. be away from my parents' house. So that was- Just about my, every major coastline. If I, yeah, I wanted to be near the water and away from, away from home. So, um, and that's, I was, anyway, so I was, but all those schools, especially without a state, were just extraordinarily expensive. Um, I applied for every scholarship. I, I again, had, had, uh, illusions of grandeur that I was going to be able to play um, D1 uh, college basketball, mm -hmm. which, which I learned in a different story, it was not going to happen. But, um, but it was just very expensive. And then I ended up, um, my dad and I took a trip 
one of our, our father-son weekends, which I just loved, was also being able to go see a university, whatever one we wanted to. It wasn't the one that obviously, you know, I was going to be able to necessarily afford, but we went to see the University of San Diego, and I fell in love with that, the, the, the one up on the bluffs, and it so was... USD, not UCSD. U, yeah, USD, gotcha. and it was the most beautiful... Wow. So I come from a Catholic background, and I don't know if that was also influencing it, but that was a, uh, I think that had Jesuit, I think that's a Jesuit one. But anyway, it had, it was the most beautiful place I'd ever seen. Mm. Um, but there was something very different, like the parking lot, the student parking lot was filled with Mercedes Benz and BMWs. <laughs> like in, in my hometown, the doctor drove a Mazda RX-7, like that was the, <laughs> right. that was the cream of the crop, like this was in a different, so what I learned is as I applied, even with getting scholarships, uh, it, I just wasn't going to be able to afford, um, you know, several of these places. I went up to see the University of Minnesota, which, I, again, I was thinking big school. But when I got up to the University of Minnesota, now it's spread out like all over Minneapolis, and it's really not like a college campus feel yeah. in what I was imagining in my sheltered kind of uh, idea of it. So then I'm um, on kind of a whim, someone had said, you should just see while you're up there, the University of St. Thomas, which is again, a kind of a beautiful, just, it's just a beautiful idyllic kind of campus setting, very yeah. small. Yeah. Um, I met with, you know, they only have professors, no uh, TAs. And anyway, I, I fell in love with it. And the, so dean of, the Dean of Admissions was also the head basketball coach. So, sure. but they were D3. And, uh, and so you can't get scholarships for D3, but but I did get as much academic scholarship as I possibly could. Um, and I think that was a little bit, uh, a little bit in uh, thanks to him. So yeah. I got enough money to go there. And, uh, and it, was, it was an interesting choice because the one kind of main thing about going to school was I wanted it to be warm and I wanted to get out of the cold. And I went somewhere <laughs> that was actually colder, like 10 or 15 degrees colder. So oh, wow. not very smart in terms of some things, but uh, it ended up working out great. Uh, it was a wonderful school, wonderful experience. I love this story, Jeff, because it uh, really highlights so many important lessons in life. And, um, you know, I, I love that you had this optimism and you had this, uh, I can get this done. And this, you know, clearly the, all the reading that you did gave you, uh, really invoked your imagination. And um, I think that's so important, so healthy to, to have a reach. And, um, you know, and you you found you you had a triage of what was important to you, and having this kind of idyllic setting with a great campus with professors who seem to really be involved and care. Um, you know, the weather came in fourth or fifth place after that, so yeah, to kind of make that decision. And it doesn't sound like um, you bemoan the experience. You know, you know, it ended up being great, and I often play that game. Like, what if you know? I wouldn't have met this person or wouldn't have done this thing. And so many things started from there. That's great. Um, you know, did, great you, you know. did you major in psychology? Um, I started down that path and uh, I had one bad experience. I was really excited to be in psychology. And then I had a bad experience um, in a class that I thought was going to be the most interesting and exciting when it was on the brain and, and uh, I think neuroscience or something, and it was just so boring and so awful, and I really got turned off. So I, I did. I then I took classes that I, uh, that I loved the professors, and it ended up being that I had uh, Spanish, which was fine um, as a degree, and communications, which is not okay. you know it's just very generic and uh, not really. I mean, it's just not really. It's a liberal arts thing, so it's right. not really right. uh, 
directional. So, um, so, so that was interesting, but I, but what I love about that now looking back is that I did follow like the, the, prof I had all the best professors Yeah, yeah. And, and it was really, again, I was around the most, uh, in my opinion, my, the, the biggest mentors on campus and, and their thoughts and, and, and that also helped shape me. Absolutely. Well, no, I, I think that's a really effective way to um, choose one's course schedule. Um, oftentimes, yeah, the major that we have in college, how many of us are actually in that field still? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, it's less and less. So, yeah. And then I got my master's in spiritual psychology, you know, years later, which was exactly how I wanted to experience psychology. And that was uh, a wonderful program out here in Southern California. Well, I was just going to say, yeah, so you, I, you did make your way to Southern California. Um, how, but it wasn't, you didn't go right to the master's at, in Santa Monica. You went into, tell Not a direct path. Yeah, I wanted to travel. So after college, I moved to Mexico um, a couple times. I lived with a family in Mexico City for uh, a bit and then uh, came home, worked a little bit more. And then I moved to Acapulco and taught English for a year. Wow. Um, I wanted to learn Spanish, uh, you know, fluently. I, I realized mm -hmm. I had, I had it as a, a, a degree, a major, and I also realized I couldn't really speak it that well. So I thought I needed a, you know, that, that, didn't, that felt incongruent. And when I got down there, the only job I could get was teaching English. So I'm there to learn Spanish, but all day I'm in English. Right. Um, so <laughs> I, it felt like the entire universe was kind of conspiring to keep me, uh, you, you know, learning. So. It was, uh, that, that took me a lot longer. I still speak like I'm from Wisconsin. I have that accent, but uh, it was a beautiful time. So I was there. And then, um, then I wanted to come back and start, you know, I was looking for, you know, getting into the corporate world in a way, um, but I really wanted to do it in Europe. And so I had written a little like goal sheet. I'm, you know, working in France and I have this great, you know, ex experience. And literally the next day my mom called me and said, um, I had told her I'm coming back in about a month. Uh, it, I had, it had kind of run its course. And she called me the next day. She's like, you know, I know you're going to be looking for jobs. I have to tell you what happened. And anyway, this long story, but someone had said they had, um, they had a company that they had just sold. They were looking for, you know, young salespeople who wouldn't mind living out of the country. Uh, they were looking for someone in South America, he thought, but that sounded great as, you know, for me as well. Yeah. So I applied when I got back in my home, in my hometown of 9,000 people, this small little company. Um, but they said in the interview, they said, we don't need anyone in South America yet, but would you be willing to go to Europe? We really want to open France as a, as a terror. I was like, yes, I'm your guy. <laughs> and so um, 45 days later, I was living just outside of Paris. Wow. Brilliant. Yeah. That's so great. Yeah. Um, and so you're French speaking as well. No, I, that one, that one I never got really good at. My territory was Western Europe. I based in, in England and, uh, and, and France, but I could speak uh, my presentation with a French uh, salesperson there. Okay. Um, and I was, a, I was a novelty. So I could get in because I didn't, everyone wanted to hear the, you know, the American try to speak French. <laughs> uh, and I remember being in the, like, I'm in the front of, we were selling uh, a weird piece of construction equipment um, and I had gotten into a very big person's office, uh, the head of the water department for all of France. It was a big deal to get in. Everyone was amazed I got in, but I think it was because his, you know, his administrative assistant was very, like she spoke English perfectly. She was kind of being nice to me and set yeah. the meeting. I went, with the, I went with the salesperson and Jacques Lacombe, this is his name. He's a small little powerful man, like sitting behind a big desk. 
and I go through my entire presentation during it. He walks around, sits on the front of the desk, so he's right in front of me. I'm like, oh, he's into this. Like, this is really going well. And at the end, the, the, the French salesman sitting to the side of me, and at the end, I remember him, like, looking at me and, and so badly, like, wanting to, and I felt, like, engage with me. He was about to say, like, that was amazing. I love what you guys are up to. But he turned to the salesperson. He said, do, do you know what he said? Oh, and, no. You and come they, just, they just laughed. And uh, oh, the, no. the, the two of them just laughed. They became, they became, that was a very good bonding thing. Uh, we ended up doing a lot of work with them. I, I became very good friends with Jock uh, while I was there. He invited, you know, I mean, I ended up going to his house and having meals. And, and it was a very funny thing. But uh, that, that's, how, that's how I worked in France. So my French is that. Yeah. <laughs> What a great treasure trove of experiences. Yeah, it was, it was wonderful. Yeah. So how many years did you stay in France? I was in Europe about uh, just about just under two years. And I split the time between England and mainly in France, those two and a little bit in the Netherlands and, you know, a few little other trips. But uh, and the one thing I learned was as I since I did travel with salespeople, I was always on the road. I would tell every salesperson that I just from wherever I just came, that their place was amazing. They had just like each region that I came from, I was like, oh my God, Eric in, in Normandy. Wow, that's gotta be the best part of France there is. And when I would do that, then each person would be like, Normandy, yeah. And then they would, they, they would spend the week trying to outdo the, the last salesperson. <laughs> I, I saw France, as a 23 year old, I saw France, uh, I saw France that, uh, that most uh, you know, people would, yeah. would, uh, would very much crave seeing as, as an insider. Well done. Yeah. That's a clever trick. <laughs> There's a lot of bravado of where we come from, right? That yeah. Sense of community and uh, sort of tribal energy. That's really phenomenal. So um, after France, you came out to SoCal? So my, my best friend from college uh, and his brother-in-law had started a company and uh, Ted and I had always wanted to work together uh, in college. We had talked about that in the future. And so we had been in touch. Uh, they were a startup and weren't sure if it was going to work, but we're ready to have a third person. So I flew in on one, during a vacation I took from my uh, European gig and uh, met with the brother-in-law. We kind of talked and, uh, you know, it was going to be like, you can leave that. There's no pay here. We're not sure if it's going to work, but, but we're ready if you want. And I'm like, I'm here, I'll be here. And, you know, I got to close down in about six weeks. So, so I moved to Austin, Texas. That was in Austin. And that was in the video game industry. We were a small video game at the time or a small video game publishing uh, company, like one of those that was in an attic, you know, for the first couple of years, then a small office, then a bigger office. And we became uh, the largest, um, video game publisher for the Mac. That was back in the late nineties, but it was when, so we worked with all the major publish, publishing houses yeah. to get their content um, over to the Mac. And at the time, Apple only had, if you can believe this, only like one or 2% of the market. So Steve Jobs had just come back. It was a very interesting time. And we became, you know, a big, a big fish in a very, very small pond, uh, but the timing was right. So it was a, it was a fun ride to be a part of that. That's, that's fantastic. That's yeah. great. Um, uh, how, how many years were you there? Almost five, four oh, and a half, okay. five years. Did the yeah. company get sold or? No, they're still going. They're still uh, totally rocking it. I, um, 
was a minority partner. And uh, after, after four and a half years, uh, you know, life was kind of calling me to go to Southern California at the time. It was the master's program. Um, I had a girlfriend at the time that wanted to move out here. So a lot of that, and I was just video games, um, as much as I love the industry and the creativity and the, just the technology, I just wasn't super passionate about video games. And so, so anyway, so that was, it was time. Um, and, uh, and I ended up selling my shares, um, you know, back to the company and, uh, that gave me a little, a little nest egg for moving to California and being able to kind of enjoy my, my first couple of years here. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. That's great. And your role with the video game company, was it on the sales side? Uh, so, you know, three of us, there were three of us. So, um, it was, you know, can I speak to tech? Yeah. Can I speak to tech support? Sure. Hold on a second. Yes. The tech support, can I help you? Um, so officially I did, uh, I was the VP of marketing. Uh, we had a VP of sales and then, I mean, those were, that's one of the benefits when there's only three people, you get to choose your title. And, uh, so I worked with the magazines and the shows and, uh, and then I, and then I did sales for Europe and, and our, our international sales, but, um, you know, and as our team grew, it became more, uh, we, we were able to kind of then more structure uh, the roles. Yeah. yeah. Oh, fantastic. Now, during this time period, both in Europe and in Austin, did you continue to read um, self-help books, stay on abreast of all that was going on? Some. Yeah, it was always a part of me. Um, in varying degrees, like, yeah, so I, I'm trying to think at that stage if I was reading as much, um, and it was pre-internet, like that was before. So I'm I'm not sure. You know, I used to travel with um, again. This is cassette tapes to like, and that's a long. So I know I didn't have a bunch of those in Europe. I'm trying to think in Austin how that worked as it, as we transitioned to CDs and stuff. I know I started getting. Um, you know, the same. I listened to Zig, Zig Ziglar was my, like, he was my main guy. Um, so I had Zig with me all the time nice. um, in one way or another. So I, th I think it was a pretty strong through road. I do feel like it kind of dipped for a bit. Um, and then when I got into the master's program of spiritual, like there was a lot of different authors that I was exposed to at that time that that became very interesting. Yeah. Uh, and then recently, again, I've just been back into just a, a bunch of great uh, you know, kind of mentor people in the space of, you know, the brain and, and the, you know, like Joe Dispenza right now is my, one of my favorite guys. And he's, I think, one of the leading authorities on brain heart coherence. Of course. Um, yeah. yeah I just love him. So, well, um, as you know, I have my podcast and uh, our logo is that, uh, a brain and a heart uh, transmitting to each other. I love your logo. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jeff, I'm so curious. Um, you're in this uh, role at this startup. The company's doing well. You're making money. You're a minority shareholder. Was there a specific event that sort of reminded you of what is really at your core and your soul? And you said, you know what? I'm going to leave all this behind and I'm going to go get this master's because this has always been my calling. Yeah. Um, so two things happened. Uh, and one was every six, not in the beginning, the first year or two were kind of just blissful. But after that, after that second year, um, and it had kind of normalized the experience of, you know, having the company and things were going well, maybe once every six months, I would wake up with the thought, like, if I die, um, like, this isn't it. 
like this, I always had a, had a sense of some purpose that, that was supposed to be, I was supposed to be fulfilling. And, and this was fun, but it wasn't uh, the depth of purpose that I had always felt should be there. So I'd have that like awareness, but not really sure of what to do. Like, uh, um, again, on paper, this was ideal. It was, I was working with people I really liked. It was a fun industry. We were, we were doing well, you know, again, I just, so it would, then it would go away. It would kind of subside, but then it would come back up. So I would have that. I had had that for a couple of years. And then I met the story as I was in Jason's deli uh, in Austin, a little deli chain and I'm in line. It's very busy at lunch. And um, this young woman walks in very pretty, uh, but obviously in a hurry. And she's kind of looking around and kind of assessing like, do I have time to do this? And, and I am like, Hey, it looks like you're in a hurry. You know, would you like to jump in? Please feel free. She's like, are you serious? That would, you know, normally I'd never do that, but this, that would really help. So thank you. So she goes through the line, she leaves. Um, and I'm, you know, still finishing up and at the register and she comes back in and she's like, again, looking, I'm like, did you forget something? You want to just jump right back in? And so she does, she had forgotten chips or something, whatever it was. She pays and as she, she's like, thank you so much. And as she turns to leave, she stops. This dead stop turns around and as I had finished paying, she said, you know what? I'm really not in this much of a hurry. Um, thank you. I really appreciate both times. And I just want you to know, I really appreciate, you know, the kindness that you just gave me. I hope you have a great day. And like, and then we had a little moment of conver you know, conversation and she, the way she stopped and went, there was something about how she spoke that made me like, it went right in. I was just like, mm -hmm. oh my, like the noise went away. She was so mm -hmm. still in the middle Great. of this busy deli. Yeah. That I, I had never seen anyone do that. Like, again, I was more moved by whatever the energy was around me. So if it was busy, I was busy. If it was calm, it was, I was calm, but I could, I had never seen anyone just choose to go calm in the midst of noise. And so anyway, we ended up talking and exchanging numbers and I saw her several times and she had just graduated from this program in California. And one, she had read all the books that I had read and more, um, but who she was, like which, who she was, was what I had hoped I could be someday. This, wow. she was just rock solid. I, you know, I think I cried within like five minutes of talking to her the second night. Like there was just a way she asked questions and the way that she listened mm -hmm. that I had never experienced. And, uh, and so she put, turned me on to the program and uh, I called and got the information and I applied for the next, you know, for the next year. Wow. That's yeah. Insane. Thanks to April. That was a, a very big <laughs> gift. Yeah. Are you still in touch with April? Uh, just peripherally. Um, again, we share some of the same network, but right. not, uh, not in a long time. But I still, when I again think of people I'm very grateful for in moments in my life that changed, uh, she's in, the, in that top kind of three or four. Wow, that's really extraordinary. I mean, imagine if you had decided to have lunch elsewhere that day. There's so many, like, isn't that, I always think that's such a fun game for people to play. Like, what if yeah. you just would have, not met this person, not have that conversation, not gone to that place to eat, like how the dominoes really do trace back to everything we've done have led us, you know, to right where we are. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I always like to invert that and say, you got to go, you got to experience, you got to follow up. If you had some kind of a pull, 
Like if, if, if Jeff resonated with you because we met at some networking event hosted by his wife, in Beverly Hills, seven years ago. Yeah. Keep calling, keep texting. <laughs> There's something there. It's so true. I think that's just such, and you're, and you have been so great at that. I think, you know, you've reminded me too, that, um, one of the people I work with now, he's a, a good friend of mine, but he had always said after the age of 30 or 35, it's tough often for men to make new friends. Mm. There's just, you know, you kind of have your group and families a certain, so it takes effort. It takes deliberate conscious effort. And, and you're one of those people that I'm just so grateful for because you have consistently been consciously um, active around, you know, building our friendship. And I just, I think that's just a superpower. Like, again, just doing that when all of the, you know, the, the, the busyness of life and, uh, you know, happens, it's very easy to not. And I, that's one thing I've been working on more too, is just to really cultivate where the, where that energy is. It's just, I really, you know, admire you and, um, well, and you've been great at that for me. So I really appreciate uh, you cultivating our friendship. That's very kind of you to say, Jeff. And yeah. um, I mean, it isn't um, without intent. It's not sort of haphazard. It's, it's uh, you know, we, we all go through these challenges in life and oftentimes the salve is uh, just uh, a community, just chatting, talking, sharing, um, empathizing. And so I've, I've learned that that's just so meaningful to me. And so I, you know, with purpose, I, I do that and I, I've, it's a triage. I single out people and, and I, I seek certain energy and energy mixes and, and chemistry in that way. And if I'm not feeling it, then it falls by the wayside or, you know, it's like you'd have different people that you want to have be in their energy sphere at different times. Well, you, I remember, and that was, my wife's a big networker and she feeds off of that energy of being around, you know, lots of people. I'm more of an introvert, so that's not my natural setting. And the idea I had of, of networking was, what do you do? What do you do? And it's, you know, that doesn't, that's less comfortable. And I remember our first conversation and you shared so authentically about the journey with your son and and, and your, um, you know, and, but mainly with your son, like that was the one. And I remember you getting to this place where you were just holding him and it was this oh, pivotal moment in your, in your, and I was like, well, this, this isn't, this is exactly what I would like to have as a conversation with, some, you know, and, and I, I, again, didn't realize that was possible in a networking event. You could just go authentic, right? Like this is, so that was a really, I remember that because now that totally shifted. It's like, wow you know, it's not just about, you know, self-promotion or which is really uncomfortable for me or this, it's about getting, really getting to know people. And, and you shared so deeply, I was like, oh, I mean, I just whatever, whatever to be more, again, more around you and that energy, especially from where you were coming from, like you're this perfect balance of, you know, high flying uh, fund management business, <laughs> and then deep seated, you know, heart with family and love. And then you were doing the you know, the karma, the, the karma, um, well, I can't remember the last part. Of oh that. yeah. Karma care. Yeah, my karma care at the time, yeah. you know, and you were getting it. So it was just, again, just a beautiful blend of energy. So I, I really appreciated that. Well, that means a lot to me, Jeff. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for recalling that. Um, and, uh, you know, those kind of, um, uh, polls that you mentioned, uh, there were a lot, plenty of occasions of cognitive dissonance, 
uh, trying to be, uh, uh, you know, running a fund, but then um, wanting to to be there for family. And uh, you know, it was not uh, in parallel. It was it had happened in serial. But um, you know, I reflect back, and I'm kind of, I'm really thankful it did. But I, I'm not sure if I hadn't been thrown out of the airplane or pushed off the cliff. Um, I would have done it. And so when I reflect back, it's like, that's the way it needed to happen. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes we do need big pushes. And even though I'd never wish, yeah, especially as a parent, I can't imagine what you went through uh, during those days. But sometimes, you know, again, your your gifts and what you're giving to the world and all the, all the, all those things, like it, if that's what needed to happen to move you into the space and also, you know, just get more aligned with all, being able to share more of your gifts then I guess then that kind of, you know, kind of does, there can be a little silver lining. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. I, def I definitely want to jump back to you, but one quick yeah. comment on that as I've been reflecting, um, you know, as a, as a fund manager, I was making um, uh, very wealthy people wealthier and I was impacting a very small slice of the world. Um, the things that I love to do now, the number of people I can impact and how, I can be of service to others in such a more profound way uh, is so much more rewarding. Yeah. I hope everybody listens to that and just rewinds it and listens again, because that's <laughs> the whole world tells us the money, you know, and yes, there needs to be a basic level, but after that, like it, it really, the, the juice and what we all want is, is that feeling of, of contribution and, yeah. um, and so I'm, I'm so glad to hear it. I think that's important when voices that come from, you know, one sector where it's like all of the things on paper that we say we want are, are being met in the checklist. But, you know, often we hear it's, that's not it. Here's what it is. And here's the real sweet spot. And now you're doing that, um, yeah. you know, to a really large extent. So thank you. Well, I appreciate that, Jeff. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you have a hard stop at nine? Just to... Uh, no, I'm, I'm good till about 9.15. Okay. All right. Um, when you started your master's, did you have it in mind that ultimately you wanted to have a coaching practice? And I know that the coaching practice also morphed into this online program that you did, but did you have that goal entering or did you go in with a clean slate and you said, I'm just going to study the things I'm passionate about and see where I go? Yeah. You know, when I left Austin, um, you know, I had I had the space to just do my master's and, you know, and then kind of get into the life in Southern California. So that was great. I, I did yoga and, um, you know, was really able to, to land here. And I got into investing in real estate. Um, my dad had invested in real estate and that worked well for him. And so I started doing that. And I thought, again, things had always just worked out for me. So I thought that that was going to be my next thing, but I was struggling from an identity per uh, point of view. Like I had, I was just had this business card that made me sound important just a minute ago. And now I didn't. And I remember, um, you know, I remember people saying like, well, what do you do all day? Like, if you're not like, what do you do all day? Like that, everyone asked that exact question was, well, what do you do all day? And oh man, for months, that was just like painful. I was just, you know, really struggling at like, I was just important. Now I'm not important. You know, what am I doing? What's going to happen? I didn't really have a clear picture. Um, so I think that was good also because it allowed me to be really open. Um, although it took several more years for me to really hit, you know, a level where it's, you know, the, with the 2008 crash, I lost everything. 
Um, and so that was again, where it was a, a total reset. And, uh, yeah, so that was, that shook me because again, everything, I was under the assumption that everything would just always work out for me. I, I had studied, you know, positivity. I thought I was optimistic and that means just everything should always work out. And when it didn't, um, it, that really rattled me. So in the beginning, I was just enjoying school and it was like school the way I'd always wanted it to be. I was studying things I loved. I was around people that were, they were, they were just amazing people. And so coaching felt like super natural and it was, it was a, an easy transition out of school. Some of my network were, you know, it was the business community who were doing well business wise, um, but were missing something in their lives. Um, so that it was all meaningful. They were trying to build better relationships or be healthier in some way. Um, so that it just was wonderful. And, but it got to this place where, again, from a leverage time point of view, I could only really work with, you know, a certain number of people each week yeah, yeah. And, and feel like this was going to max out really quickly. Mm -hmm. And so that wasn't it either. Just having 10, 15 people, it was amazing, but it was, it just wasn't the image that I had in terms of being able to make a difference. Gotcha. So, yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, just to talk about the coaching itself, and then we'll come back to the crash. Um, you focused on balance coaching, and um, well, not what I understand is that um, sort of high achievers helping them to have a taste of fulfillment. Yeah. Um, and that was that your how you describe your personal journey going from the video game company to absolutely, absolutely right. Like I was chasing the idea. Yeah. Um, and the idea, which I think a lot of people who have reached certain financial levels, you know, hit is, is this, this, what's, it's something still missing. Um, for, for off, often that's the case. If it's not really steeped in a, in a purpose, um, mission led kind of existence. So for me, that's where I was. I was feeling like that missing until I had this, this, totally opposite experience of this spiritual psychology that was really based in using ourselves as our own as guinea pigs to figure out like what belief systems we had why did certain areas of our lives work and others didn't and really getting into that as a project to see that we were able to create and if something was you know a lot of people create really well in one area of their lives That's right. but not great in all areas and yet the same principles as that work in one area and, but it seems like it's, you know, we're two totally different people. It's like, wait a second, you're so good at creating as an entrepreneur and yet as a relationship, like, look at what you say to yourself when you're there versus here. And, and that was certainly my world as well. Certain areas I was very confident in, certain areas I wasn't. Um, so that was, you know, I think again, more for me. And then in the coaching, that felt like, again, once I started to get a taste of, wow, this is, this is what. I had always hoped life would feel mm -hmm. like. Yeah. Um, and as I worked with people again, like it was just obvious that they had a little bit of peace in their week. So, they were making a lot of money, but their stress level was off the charts, but they had a little bit of peace that was worth it for them. Like, yeah. and as they started to build the muscle of being able to ground themselves and, you know, it, it can sound a little woo woo or weird, but the reality is, is some of those things and mindfulness now, thankfully in the last 12 years has gotten, a much more center stage kind of mainstream experience. There's, we all get the quality of life is, is often, I mean, is always more important ultimately than, than anything else. So, mm -hmm. yeah, so it was definitely a personal journey and then being able to share that a little bit with, uh, you know, people like me. 
No, that's great. And uh, the online program that you established, which um, had a few different objectives, but one of them was also to help people manage weight. Um, was that a, a post-crash endeavor? Um, it had started a little bit before that. It's been a long, yeah, a long windy road, but somewhere around that time, some, somewhere around there, okay. we had started and it was something that I had gotten started um, with, I had talked with my brother, we had been trying to figure out a way to work together. He was a great chiropractor in Southern California. He's still a great chiropractor. He's just in, in, in uh, Canada now. But um, at the time he was a young chiropractor. He's just amazing. And we were trying to figure out how to help people form simple, healthy habits, you know, that would alleviate the need to go to doctors or the emergency kind of experience that most of us are prone to where we don't go to the doctor until something's really bad, but it is an ounce of prevention's worth worth its weight in gold. So we had come up with a nine simple habits for busy people to have more energy and, and more health and enjoy life more. But again, books we knew are like, we'd read thousands of books and the amount of things that we were actually doing from those books was we, we could count on one hand, you know, and we all know we all fall prey to that. So we really wanted to move it to how can we hold people's hands and, and technology was just starting to hit where we could really be, you know, smartphones were now around and people were, it was just easier to be with people every day virtually um, with some little reminders and encouragements. And ultimately I had kind of realized in coaching, there were only a couple things, you know, a great coach is, is irreplaceable. Like, a, um, but a lot of the people as I had worked with them who were trying to lose weight or, just make changes. It came down to just three things. And those three things were able to be replicated pretty well online. Like yeah. it was a, a big part of it was um, accountability. Accountability. Right? Yeah. That accountability, breaking something big down into something small. Micro so Yep. Yeah. And then um, being acknowledged the entire way. Like everything you did, oh, that's great job. Like, and yeah. so that it was a joyful experience, even in the small little wins, you know, it was an enjoyable journey. So those three things, as I started getting in that rhythm with my clients and their lives were transforming, I was like, that's possibly doable, you know, with technology. So taking that for, for making changes in our lives, we started to realize we could probably do those things, help people be accountable, help break big goals into small goals and ultimately make them feel good. Everything they did right. towards their own self growth and self care um, you know, we could be onto something. So that's what, that's the direction we started going. Absolutely. Well, and then your gaming background helped make it fun and engage. Well, and that, that's where I, uh, like, I feel again, in certain ways being pushed off the cliff, as you had mentioned earlier, like I would have never guessed when I left that, I would have never guessed I would have played any sort of role in my future. And yet it was, you know, less than eight, nine years later where mm. I became uniquely positioned to use gamification, which a lot of people throw that word around, um, but use correctly, making something a game uh, can be a very sticky uh, way to, to help people stay with something while they're doing it. And I think as parents, you know, parents have been doing this for thousands of years. Like I have a five-year-old and, you know, I know that I can make him clean his room. Like I'm bigger than he is. I'm the dad. <laughs> I can totally make him do that. And that's one experience. But if I tell him, that there's a boy in Oklahoma who holds the world record for the fastest amount of time ever in cleaning up his room. It's only four minutes and 32 seconds. It's probably never going to be beaten. 
But if he wants to give it a shot, I'm happy to get my stopwatch out and we can go, we can give it a try. I can beat that. Uh, like, and it's the same result, but a totally different experience. Absolutely. And we're not that different as, as adults. So no. using gamification, like, and being in the industry where they studied that, like, what is it in our brains that gets triggered and how do we trigger that to keep people playing something for a long period of time? Like they literally, like that's the industry. They measured billions of points of data and figured it out. So um, so the more elements of a game that we can use, uh, we actually are triggering different parts of the brain that gets, that chemicals get released that make us want to do it more. So, um, so when we apply that to real world activities, it's a really wonderful way to trick our brains to doing the work that we need to do to get a new habit. And that's, Absolutely. you know, that's really the, that's really Absolutely. the key. But it's fascinating. We um, had this panel a few weeks ago called technology and mindfulness. And we talked specifically about this, how so much of smartphone usage is based on that idea of keeping us hooked and keeping us continuing to do that. And it's like the, uh, the slot machine effect. Like, you know, we, we're checking our messages 150 times a day just because we want that gratification and it's unknown gratification. Is this a message I want? Is it someone I, I want to hear from or is it not like all that mystery? We're, so, we're doing one thing with, we just had an app come out uh, that's just called enjoy daily. And one of the things like that to, to that point, like when you get a text message, you're not sure if it's going to be good or bad, like, but we still have to know. But in this case, we send text messages and it says, Hey, Asim, someone's appreciating you, you know, on the challenge or in the, on the site. Well, now I got an, I got to know who thinks I'm, I'm great. Like, <laughs> right, I, I, right. I, and that's, that's even harder to ignore. Yes. Yes. Um, absolutely. Yeah. That's why, you know, Facebook says, Oh, you have a new notification. doesn't yeah. tell you who it's from or what the post is. Now we got to go log on. Yeah. Um, but we were, th we were talking about how can, can those tricks be used in a mindfulness setting in a, in a way that uh you know enables us to uh, uh and so there's one app called uh, breathwork um uh, which employs that so it, it, it you know it, it's guided breathing but there's a lot of that um reward mechanism in place that it keeps people going and um like uh, duolingo is also pretty good at this from a language acquisition side um it is so easy to get distracted uh i go all these tangents with you jeff <laughs> it's fun though right yeah. it is this is a ton of fun um you mentioned enjoy and so tell us about the start of enjoy global because that was kind of your next step you teaming up with uh your partner linda yeah so yep yeah, so at the time um my brother and I were gonna were going a little bit different. His practice was growing and and I was going in a little bit different direction with the tech. And so um I had gotten us into some some companies, a uh, couple for for wellness. So it was we were working with the insurance companies to help employees form healthier habits, um, but mainly around physical well-being and in with the intention of reducing premiums for the companies and helping the employees feel better and have more energy and all of that. So that's where things were going. And at that time, I was introduced to my business partner now, um, you know, again, in one of those wonderful serendipitous ways, invited to lunch, you got to meet Linda, Linda, you got to meet Jeff. And we had, uh, you know, a little round table with a handful of people um, about a different project. And that was just the start of us getting to know each other. We ended up not doing that other project together, but we stayed connected. We ended up being um, really hanging out and being just getting to know each other over the next year before we decided to move into business together. Um, she was, she had just left Fredericks of Hollywood as, as the CEO there for about a decade. 
um, was getting her master's uh, in business that after, you know, 25 years as a, as a CEO, she just wanted the, the master's. So, classes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she, and so anyway, so that was wonderful. Um, but she was looking, she was going to be consulting and she had been built up a reputation for building positive, you know, great teams and positive cultures. And uh, she loved what we were doing with technology. And we started talking about how we could use it for, you know, helping with leadership behaviors and overall, you know, everything under the, the, the cultural umbrella, like the essential soft skills, emotional intelligence. And so we started playing with that. And we, with our Rolodexes, both of ours combined, um, we ended up getting some very large companies to, to, uh, you know, to work with in the beginning. And that helps help us refine the tech mm -hmm. until today where we're now, you know, working with creators, anyone who has content, and it's really specifically around, you know, any author who wants their book to come alive, they need a 30 day challenge. Like that's like, this is an experiential way to really help your readers take what you wrote and spend, you know, your heart and all your time giving to them in terms of information and helping them really do it. Uh, for, for coaches, it's great to be able to scale because, you know, coaches all have that same challenge of time. And, you know, the point of entry, not everyone can afford a coach. So having a, a lower entry point for more people really usually helps most coaches uh, hit their goals of making a bigger impact for more people. And then trainers and people with workshops and all of those people who are in that personal growth arena, you know, again, trainers, the problem that they all admit is they put their heart and soul into this amazing two hour, three hour, one day, two day experience. And then they cross their fingers and hope people leave and do something. And the fact, the fact is that not only do we not do anything, 75% of what we heard we lose in 48 hours, 90% we lose in three weeks, and less than 1% of us actually implement in any meaningful way anything we heard in any of the workshops. Yeah. So being able to have something to take your work and slow it down, like just drip it out and have people hear something, do something, hear something, do something, because the doing is the key. Right. If people will do something different, they actually have a chance to make a real change. That's so, right. hundred yeah. um, percent. I just want to highlight, Jeff, one of the things that I've enjoyed so much about um, your orientation with what you do is the, um, the metrics that you use. I mean, just now in the last 30 seconds, you rattled off a bunch of uh, uh, metrics, measurement tools, quantitatively grounding what you're doing. Uh, and I think that's so critical. I mean, cause you used a term earlier, uh, is, is too woo-woo. Um, I think it's being able to show statistics like that where we can that really show and highlight the, the importance of it. And I, I, there was one that you um, highlighted about, um, and this is a big part of uh, Enjoy Global, is uh, uh, the, the financial impact of uh, employee disengagement and uh, how it, it's like 34% uh, <clears throat> economic cost um, or something along those lines. Yeah, we lose. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's there's so much data. And I think that is wonderful. It's important that there's science and data, right? Like, so the, the metadata company, the metadata companies like the Deloitte's and the Gallup's, you know, they put out studies in corporate America around disengagement. And it's usually between 68 and 72% of us rate ourselves disengaged from our careers every year, every year. And the number one reason is we don't feel valued. Um, by our direct supervisor, by the organization overall. We don't feel like we're being valued. But 68 to 72% of us, that's crazy. Like we spend most of our adult life at work and we're disengaged from that experience. That's, that's a problem. Like we, that's a problem we all have to start to take more accountability for. But 
one of the things that's so harsh on that is it, it hurts the business in every way. Um, but it also hurts us. Like our lives are less fulfilled if we're going to a place where we don't feel like it's embracing our cre creativity or we're not on, on passion or on point with, with where we want to be in our lives. Now, what's cool about what the space we're in is, again, the science shows that we can all take more responsibility for this in our personal lives. And it doesn't matter at work or at home or wherever we want to, but the, the big deal for us is positive psychology. Now, this, this arena shows that we are, and, and we all know this intuitively, we are better, better ourselves. We're better versions of ourselves when we're in a positive state of mind. Now, we all know that. We all know that we're better decision makers. We're more patient with our kids. We're more creative. But how much better is being shown by science? And it's not a little. It's yeah. exponentially better. Every single business metric improves substantially when someone's in a positive state of mind. Every single life, quality of life indicator goes up significantly when someone's in a positive state of mind. Our, our brain literally lights up when we're in a positive state of mind. So all the learning centers turn on, we learn more, we learn quicker, we remember more, we are more creative because we have access to more parts. So that's not debatable and that, that's awesome. But what's even more powerful is that they're showing that there's simple but simple exercises that no matter where we are on the continuum, we can build this as a muscle to move into a positive state more frequently and stay there longer. And, be, and if we do that, that's the holy grail. Those are the keys because no matter what we're doing, no matter what goal we're working on, no matter where we are in our lives, us being in a more positive state more often and staying there longer is the key to us being our best self. Yeah. And that's really it. So that's what we're, that's, that's actually the work underneath all of our, everything we do is to help people build that, those muscles to get into a positive state more frequently, stay there longer so they can be the best version of themselves every day and enjoy themselves more because then they don't need, they don't need to be ex, um, validated by someone else because they're internally sourcing that, right? Like, yeah. So now they feel more valued because they're valuing, valuing themselves more. So engagement goes up naturally. If everyone's doing it, I'm much more likely to, to appreciate and acknowledge everyone around me. So then my team feels more acknowledged and more valued. And, and it's a beautiful circle. Absolutely. So, but it all comes down to the founding, you know, the, the base point is that we take the time to really get our, our mental state uh, cared for. And, yeah. and that we build the muscles of being in our, you know, in a positive state. That's so perfect that you said that. And thank you for, for sharing that. That's really a, a phenomenal nugget for our audience. Um, I've got a quick anecdote, uh, a parenting one. Um, what I've noticed is that um, unless we approach our parenting with specific intention and thoughtfulness, um, uh, and our parenting often have, we're called on the carpet we don't necessarily have time to prepare. And so when it's a situation that we haven't thought through the answer for, we tend to mimic. And so we tend to say what was told to us. And so I'm having this rather um, philosophical conversation with my kids. And, and I asked them, I said, it's really important that you do this. And of course, they're like, well, why? It's like, because that's the goal of life. I want you to be happy. And as soon as the words left my mouth, I'm like, oh no, here it comes. Well, I am happy. Mm. Uh, like, well, what does happy mean? And I'm thinking to myself like, oh my God, I just really parroted what I was told. Like, it's true. What does that mean? And so I grappled with it. I said, you know what? 
daddy's going to come back to you. And I just meditated on it for several days, probably even a week plus. And what I came back to them was I said, when your positive thoughts outweigh your negative thoughts, that's when you're happy. And so you should strive to set your life up in a way that gives you that. And so when you're choosing a profession, don't just choose one that's going to pay you money so you can buy food and shelter. Choose something that's going to give you innate joy because there's going to be a lot of things that are going to be, that are going to knock you off of that. And you have to be able to come back to something. And so it's just, that resonates so well with what you've shared and all the work you've done and, and really the ethos of, uh, of, of your mandate at the moment. So. Thank you. Yeah, I love that. And I think parenting, that's become a huge passion, obviously, of, uh, of mine as well. You know, it's so easy to think that what, what we define something as is what the definition is. And so being with a young being who does, who's still forming and who is so, so tapped in still to the joy of life, not putting our stuff on top of that is just it's a daily challenge, but so worth doing because it, it's a great it also allows us to challenge our beliefs in a way that like, do I really have to believe that that's what, that's what makes me happy? Because once we get clear on, no, spending time in the moment with my son, that's like, that's amazing. And I never would like, that's not, that wasn't in my definition for years pre being a parent. Exactly. And so once we have the ability to really challenge our beliefs, now we're free to choose what makes us happy. And now we're, it's just, again, it's much easier to live into in an, an intentional way that brings us happiness than what society or our parents or the subconscious voices that we hear in our head. So I love that. And I think parenting is a great place because if there's any, any place that's, that's worth doing the work, it's with our kids, yeah. right? No, it's so true. They're yeah. definitely worth the effort. And that's, um, yeah, well, that, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. Here. Isn't it? Um, I just want to highlight and thank you, Jeff, for, for mentioning that you're, um, you know, a lot of your clients now are coming from um, authors and, and coaches. But I just want to highlight for the audience, you've had just uh, an amazing track record in terms of the clients you've worked with corporate wise in the past. Uh, Toyota, NASA, Bloomingdale's, Wells Fargo, Thomson Reuters, I mean, just sort of best in class. And so uh, kudos on what you've been able to thank achieve. You. I know that um, the, those sales cycles can be long and challenging. And so I give you a lot of credit for staying with it and the tenacity to, um, to, to be of service in those settings. Um, I'd love for you to share about your podcast, uh, Enjoy Podcast, which I've thoroughly uh, enjoyed hearing and listening. Yeah. Yeah. So it's called Enjoy Success. Um, and we'll be fortunate enough to have you as a guest in, uh, in a few weeks, which is going to be awesome. Um, and the principle is really, um, we, we're dedicated to bringing our, our audience the most holistically successful people on the planet, people who are really living a life that they love, mm. right? And by sharing those stories, uh, especially how they define success for themselves, it gives everybody permission and not only is it inspiring to hear how someone arrived at the, at the place that they are, but really about the nuggets. What is it that they're doing in terms of their daily routines or, or the, the books that they've read or the way that they get into the mindset that it takes to continually be a creator? And all of that, you know, our audience now is um, reaping the benefits of having this variety of people 
of all ages, all different backgrounds, all over the globe, sharing that we can create our lives. And, and I think that that's the biggest goal is if we really want to enjoy our lives, um, success needs to be defined for us in our own terms. And most of the time, that is a much more holistic definition than what we were brought up with. And when we start to get into what's really important for us and we start to live into that, the quality of life goes up immediately. And yeah. once the quality of life goes up, um, again, we're less attached to the outer. We're more sourcing from within. And then, you know, we can be in the middle of just much harder things than we would have imagined we could handle and still feel good and still feel grateful and still and, and again it might be for smaller and smaller things but we have that control and i think at the end of the day that's that's the real goal is i want to listen to everybody that i'm talking to like it's it's the most inspiring time to be able to be in these conversations and learning from people that i would you know i would give anything to be a, to, to have to be mentored by and i think that's the the beauty of podcasts and and the technology we live with now is everyone has access to everyone. So if you find someone that you resonate with, and uh, you know, I just really encourage people to find people who are inspiring to you and who speak in a way that really open your mind and open your heart, and then just, and then listen, you know, and then there's so much content that we all have access to um, that there's really no excuse for us not to be surrounded by the best minds and the best hearts on the planet uh, sure. all the time. And, and certainly the, the gift of being able to do that um, as part of my job is, is uh, something I'm extraordinarily grateful for. Well, you're exceptional at it. Um, so it's really great. I have one more question on that, but I want to make a little segue and, and ask you something fun. Um, as we've been friends for a number of years, we're also uh, social media connected. There was one photo, and I think it was around the time of your wedding. Um, it, it's with you and your two brothers and you're, you're all donned in your suits and the dress shirts, but just very barely visible are these superhero costumes underneath and i think you were spider-man tell us about that so that was for my youngest brother uh brother's wedding so he got married a couple years ago and um i can I, so he got to be superman i think jason was batman so and i had and so i had a spider i i Bodie and i both have spider-man shirts so that was something that we already had but um, we wanted John, that was John's idea. He wanted a super, he wanted a superhero. We, we all love, and I'll back step, we all love like the Quentin Tarantino Reservoir Dogs slow walking in a movie. Like we, like we all dreamed of having just, we only want to be in one movie for 10 seconds where we get to turn a corner all walking in slow motion. Um, and you know, and kind of that feeling of like, oh, here's the moment where the hero reveals himself. So uh, so John's idea was that we would wear these and underneath, underneath the, the tuxes or the suits we had on, we would, we would be coming out and um, my nephew was in that one as well. And it was just, that was a very fun, uh, fun day. That was my little brother's idea. Yeah. Gotcha. Very clever. Very nice. Um, and it goes to show how connected you guys are. That's really, really beautiful. I love that picture. That's one of my favorite, yeah. favorite pictures of us. Well, uh, Jeff, I am going to end where you begin. Can you define success in your own words for us? Yeah, absolutely. To me, it's a life rich in the things that matter most. Um, and so, like, that's it. It's a life rich in the things that matter most. Uh, for me, and I think for most of us, if we think about it, it involves a variety of things. Health, contribution, connection, 
um, you know, a values-based a, a values existence, uh, being able to be of contribution to the world. So, but a life rich in the things that matter most to each of us, to me, that's, that's the definition that, that resonates most with me. That's brilliant. Jeff, I can't thank you enough. This has been such an amazing conversation. You were authentic, you were vulnerable, you were candid. Everything I could have hoped for in our audience, I know is inspired. Asim, I'm so grateful. Like you're, you do have a beautiful way of bringing people in quickly, right? You just go right in and it's, there's something about you that opens. So I'm really grateful. I always look forward to our conversations, but this is a, this is an honor to be a part of your podcast as well. That really means a lot to me, Jeff. Uh, I, coming from a fellow podcaster and interviewer, that uh, is really a high compliment. So thank you.